Welcome to Food and Loathing, the weekly podcast for the gourmets, gourmands, and gluttons that populate the glittery gulch we like to call Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm your host, Al Mancini, coming to you this week from the luxurious Moonin Ranch, home of this week's co-host, Chef Rick Moonin. <laughs> Riding the gain, as always, is our resident junk food junkie and fast food fanatic, the one and only Rich Johnson. We are surrounded by tile and glass, and uh, no. we're in a big library. <laughs> oh, are you getting upset, Rich? No, I'm fine with it. It's, Rich it's, just can't it handle the echo? Man. Adds to the authenticity. There's yes. Hello, hello, hello. My animals hello. like to bark in here. Why don't you just put really heavy reverb on all of us? Oh, yeah. It sound like, like WABC in 1968. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how are you guys both doing this fine August morning in paradise? <sighs> Hot yet sweaty. Nah, it's not that bad. Yeah. Nice. You get up early. <laughs> you got to get up early. That's the, that's the key to enjoying or summer and less. Stay out late. Yeah, one of the <laughs> yeah. One of the it's the hours that you need to tend. Getting up, rolling in. That's pretty nice. Coin flip. You know, you know, the evening I go for walks now. It's it's beautiful. I love it this time of year. So we have a packed show for you today. Coming up in just a few minutes, a local chef shares her ghost kitchen horror stories. And since we have the godfather of sustainable seafood with us today, I finally want to address some of the concerns certain Facebook friends of mine had with the idea of eating an oddly colored lobster and also try to figure out if their concerns were valid or perhaps a little misplaced and whether there are maybe some other concerns you need to think about when you're eating lobster and, and seafood in general. I want to get into that because we've never really talked about that here. But first, if you are a regular listener, you know we like to kick things off discussing some meals we've eaten over the past week or so. And Rick, you're our host today, so you go first, brother. All right, all right. It's such a pleasure, Al. You know, you're an amazing uh, interviewer. I just love your interview. <laughs> Seriously. You, uh, you always keep the conversation going. You're always recollect. You put people uh, like current where you need to have them. You keep them on path. It's terrific. Well, thank you. Am I I'm, dying? No, you just no. nice no, I just, I no, it, you know, just listening to some of the clips and stuff. It's just yeah. amazing. So anyway, Stop me. Stalling. I, so I'm sorry. <laughs> now, I, I went to uh, Valencia and Gold again because I just love it there. And uh, and Jeff Weiss, this chef there, is terrific. I went there, you know, and I heard it's a paella. It's great. I mean, it used to be takeout only. Then he changed the concept to sit down. And they have a bar, and it's 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 kind of hip and cool. And you really feel taken care of when you go there. At least I do. They take because they recognize. Oh me. yeah. But, but I see him taking care of all other tables as well. It's not just you know isolation because of who you are. Yeah, you know that gets weird when people say, "Oh, you don't get treated the same way everybody else does." Uh, absolutely true. Maybe we don't. Everybody at this table may not. But you could see. You could tell when like you're the only person they're paying to attention mm -hmm. to and you can tell when they're touching other tables yeah. you can tell whether other people are happy you can see the expression on yes. other people's face and that whole area is developing so much that whole curve curve whatever they, it's gone through so many different names you know when the the bend the curve the whatever where ikea and everything there's a lot of development there and it's not just the black sheep which was amazing you know finally oh, yeah. embedded real experience for people it's a it's a desert out there out you know yeah. so this this valencian gold is terrific you know yeah, that whole stretch of rainbow really south of the 215 mm -hmm. and that's like a weird when i was doing the neon feast app i think i called it like the coronado ranch area just yeah. to give it a neighborhood name because we've got like the roads ranch <laughs> is up where you said like black sheep that's that's more in the roads ranch area right but that strip that yeah. connects like say the um uh, Mountain's Edge. Yeah, from to 215 all the way down to uh, south. Yeah, I, it's going towards Diamond. Southern. <laughs> going towards yeah. Southern Wine and Spirits. That's yes. what I should call it. That's There's a I, lot of good stuff. Yeah, down towards that Southern Wine and Spirits. <laughs> right, man. That crazy um, there showroom they have everything there. there for every, uh, every uh, income level on that strip of South Rainbow. Yeah, good Thai restaurants. You know, it's it's a fun little strip. It's a great little fish and chips yep. place. Anyway, there. Well, so Valencia and Gold. Yeah. I, I went the, originally to have some paella, but in the chef, and Jeff Weiss comes out with this steak that was just you know I couldn't say no to. It, it melted <laughs> in my mouth, and I never had paella, so I had to go back. And I said, "Look, I'm having paella no matter what. I'm going backwards. This is what I want for my paella." I said, "I want the you know the 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 one that's got all the seafood in it, but I want it made with squid ink." You know, it came out amazing. Oh, you know? nice. So that's you go in there, you order the moon. In paella. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I love how you say that because we'll talk about 
you know, problems that we have that other people would not see as problems, yeah. which is you go into a restaurant to try because you want one dish <laughs> and we never get to eat that dish. No. And Sue, my wife is like crazy on this, right? Because like we take, her, I take her to steakhouses for special occasions, like her birthday. We always go to a steakhouse mm-hmm. and things like that because I'm not a big steak eater. When I do, I want to go to a crazy steakhouse. Sure. She, she would go to a mid-level steakhouse much more frequently. I'm a rare, very rarely go. I want it to be phenomenal. Yep. But we go to these phenomenal steakhouses at Sue's birthday or whatever, and before her fucking steak comes out, there's always 18 other dishes they send out. So we've, I've put this out there. I've already told Daniel Antaveros this. Sue told him, actually. We are ordering now our steak as the appetizer wherever, whenever we go to a steakhouse. So Sue gets her steak first before they send out their shit. No, so you're going to kind of have to do that, right? Say, look, send me the paella first. No, no, and no, no. This is not the way we do it. After. It's not proper. You have to follow the, the proper rule. Yes. My it's, baby gets what my baby wants, especially oh, on her birthday. Man. No, we got bombarded. You know, Jeff sent out so many extra courses. It was ridiculous. By the time the paella came. I had it uh, yesterday. In my leftovers. And leftover paella is fine. Oh, gosh, yes. That was Rich's piece of advice for the last no, Leftover paella is better. Um, yeah. Better. Yeah. You can really crisp it up in a black steel in, pan. Yeah. So you don't microwave it, though? Hell to the name. Yeah, I just want to make oh. sure we get that on the record. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> Anymore. And it toughens up all the, the calamari, whatever's left yeah, in yeah, there, yeah. the muscles, the calamari. You'll be flossing your teeth with it. Rubber bands, you'd be wrapping them around this, your newspaper. This, this is all good advice because that's my plan tonight. Is make a paella for the first time in a year plus. First time since we went to Valencian Gold. Yeah. And I got a couple of tips from Jeff about how to check that the sofrito is actually sofriting. Sofrat, sofrat, whatever it is. Jeff, Jeff Weiss is, is solid. Yeah. He's an amazing chef, amazing guy, amazing human being. Yeah. Um, does a lot of work for the community as well. We yeah. love you, Jeff. See, we haven't even mentioned James Trees yet. Sorry, James. <laughs> oh, James. There you go. Uh, ding, we ding, ding, ding. This, this <laughs> old Groucho Marx. Yeah, right. Gonna drop say the magic word, and the <laughs> duck will come down and give you a dollar. Uh, Rich, what about you, man? Uh, Are you going to say yeah. James Trees' name? Uh, no, I'm not, actually. We thought about it, uh, but ended up going to uh, Jade, the upscale Chinese place in the Rampart Casino, where we did a, a media dinner a few months ago. Nice rendering of the usual suspects. My orange chicken was a little on the mild side, which is what orange chicken is supposed to be, very orangey. But I asked uh, about that, and the server brought uh, what she said was a little house-made chili oil. And I put like six drops on the thing, and I was on fire. It was so, it was perfect, but, you know, then on my leftovers, I applied even a, a more it was, judicious. It was a little mild. Amount. It was a little mild. Was yeah. Man, man, man. What do you mean by mild? Fire. Orangey. What more do you I know. No. I'm, I'm getting defensive here as a chef. Sorry. No, no, Look, no. I don't understand, though, from the other side, to defend Rich. And also, Rich is not a pussy like me when it comes to heat. I am a pussy when it comes uh, to heat. Yeah. I do not understand why we live in a society where if you ask somebody for just a little bit of spice they take it as a challenge to blow up yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. Taste that's buds. true sometimes <laughs> you know? no that's not you gotta... I'm not saying they did that with you but no no a lot no of they, they brought the stuff on the side and it was all my doing right. i was like like the thai place i love when that and happens. they you know used to be For me you know, i like the heat how spicy you want it one to five and the last place we went is how spicy you want it one to ten uh, and i thought how do you tell the difference between six and it gives seven? You, it gives you more increments. Good metric. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. uh, Monday, we made it over to Half Bird, the opening. It was just sort of by chance. Uh, we had the classic, uh, Joanna had the classic chicken sando. I had the hot chicken sando. On their menu, it says sandos, S-A-N-D-O, apostrophe S. John, Brian, we got to talk about your uh, spelling. <laughs> yeah, That's well. plural. It's, it all belongs to somebody named Sando. Sando. Yes. Uh, anyway, there were huge chunks of chicken breast, uh, perfectly deep fried. Uh, pickle, lettuce, uh, potato roll it was awesome. Uh, I will be back very soon uh, for the, uh, the bird because uh, Brian Howard told Al the big bird is the real star of the show. Oh, man, it's been an amazing, incredible day. The, the room has been packed since 11 a.m., uh, still trying to catch our breath and learn about what we're doing. But, uh, you know, I'm proud of what we've done. Tony would be proud of what he's put in. And uh, I think the community is going to love what we're doing. So uh, if you haven't been to Halfbird yet, come check us out. We're open until 11 o'clock tonight, 2 a.m. on the weekends. Lots of good deliciousness here. It's so looking good. Uh, a warning if you are still a fan of cash, Halfbird is completely cashless. 
You order at the kiosk or on the app that's an easy download because they have the QR codes on every table. Also note the number of your table because you'll need to put that in. There are a few uh, items like, you know, extra this to leave off that that are in the app. So you uh, never deal with a human as much as you try to. John, John, come here. Come here. No, it's on the app. It's on the app. Uh, John, I, well, no cheese. It's on the app. It's on. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to that whole rotisserie bird as soon as possible, so stay tuned. Yeah, well, I had the rotisserie bird. I brought it home. It was excellent. I loved it. Um, yeah. It was interesting. You talk about dealing with the human, though. I was like, Brian, uh, hold on. I'm ordering. Brian came over. Right? I'm ordering, Brian. I'm ordering. And he's like, uh, which of these two sauces should I get? He's like, just pick any. I'm going to throw them all in. I'm like, okay, I'm getting a cookie. Uh, no, don't bother putting the cookie in. I'll have them throw it in. So I got home, and they had thrown in all the sauces. Yeah. Many of them were super spicy, so they weren't necessarily for me. There was a really good scallion, ginger scallion one that I loved. But there was no cookie, Brian. I would have paid for the cookie. <laughs> yeah, where's my cookie? cookie? did not get in there, and I was willing to pay for the cookie, Brian. Oh, oh uh, I, I did get one throw in, because you know, I know... I know, like one guy in the whole town, it's uh, John Anthony. Uh, the uh, fries, gravy fries, not poutine, fries with this gravy. Mm. Get the fries and ask for an extra side of the gravy because it is umami, awesome. You know, there's maybe that little bit of Asian thing, but mostly it's just good brown gravy that Probably. brought me back to... Fells Point Diner and the movie Diner from 1980, where they are all ordering fries uh, with gravy on it. That's a very Jersey Park, New yeah, Garden, Baltimore Parkway, in this case, Jersey but yeah, Turnpike after the club kind of. Thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah but Brian Howard from the city. You what, know? what Brian brings to the table though is he's got a, a real. He likes Asian influence. Yeah, for sure. He knows how to extract umami. There's That's a bit good. on that uh, hot chicken sandwich. Ma- makes your mouth water, of course. But mm-hmm. I mean, that originally originated in what Nashville. Yeah, something yeah. right. No, there. but they're doing cayenne a, pepper. They do it Spring Mountain style. It's yeah. not cayenne pepper. They yeah. use um, Szechuan peppers. That's to do my it. point. Yeah, yeah. that's Sorry. my point. No, that's okay. Good. You're exactly right. And they're not in a race to burn your mouth off either. It's uh, hot, but it's not gosh. this manly man. I'm, I've got a bigger one than you. Hot, like so many of these other Nashville right. choi- yeah. joints are. I haven't been to do. yet, but I, uh, I, if Brian Howard's behind, it, I can't wait to try it. Um, did you try the beer? I did not. They have their own beer. Okay. I forget the name of it off the top of my head right now, but it's a beer that's being brewed by the folks down at Huddle Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty mild beer. I mean, if you're used to even just drinking regular American lagers and that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, you're you're gonna recognize it. It's not gonna be too offsetting mm. with all the hops Perfect. of a craft it's beer. A thirst quencher. But it is a thirst yes. quencher. It's smart. And yes. they run it through some Szechuan peppercorns. <laughs> but there's just a tiny little tingle. Not a not a lot of that yeah. on that. Your beer, mouth's so. numb. Yeah. Oh, and uh, as promised last week, a few words about catch the uber hip cool instagram friendly seafood place just off the lobby in aria it was uh joanna's birthday our anniversary 31 check that congrats congrats yeah 31 (laughs) i gotta count now uh you know we came in right at five uh seated not in the main room but uh, one of the larger several rooms uh, just to the right. Service was was awesome. The woman, I should have asked her name, was just right there all the time. I had mentioned a, a, a lactose issue when I did the reservation on whatever it was, Open Table or Aria's. Uh, or you no, know, you could have used the Neon Feast app, I think. I probably I could have, but, you know. I go to the box, feel shame. Um, <laughs> one of the uh, the things Joanna was looking at had a... Uh, a side dish that was had some cream in it, and she mentioned that and said, well, okay, maybe not. She checked about something else about its dairy content, and we went with that. Mm-hmm. And then later, just uh, I had put in the, in the reservation birthday slash anniversary. So out comes a coconut vegan cheesecake with a little happy birthday chocolate thing on it. <laughs> cool. And that was wonderful. I've, vegan desserts have never been uh, all of mine, but I would order this no matter what. It was really good, nice coconutty thing, not overwhelming, and a good cheesy mouthfeel to it. Wonderful. Bravo. Well, I would say that, um, you know, uh, Diana Edelman, our friend who runs yeah. vegansbaby.com, um, she loves catch. She loves what they do for vegan-friendly food in there. Yeah. Um, she actually did their Beard House dinner. They When they recreated the vegan Beard House dinner, in Las Vegas, brought it back. They did it at Catch because uh. Catch was one of the chefs recommended there. So if you have somebody in your party who is, you know, a plant-based diner, um, Catch is definitely a place that you should be able to enjoy. Rich, I got a message from you. It's my turn to talk now unless we have more. Do we have more to say? No, 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 no. We're good. Okay. We like Catch. I ended up a message <laughs> with you. Finally, Marina um, 
<laughs> Marina Mercer Borini. Oh yeah, uh, got back to me, and you will still be able to get your Sinatra Slam at various places in Win. Sinatra Smash. Yeah. Sinatra Smash. Yeah. So um, I just wanted you to know. I um, thank you for that. You're looking out for me. But yeah. we we had had a rumor, Rick, that yeah. that uh, Sinatra Smash was off the menu at the, all the bars in the Win Encore. Complex. I'll tell you but, exactly you where know. you can get it. I'll, I'll look it up when we're in one of these breaks. But, but it turns out I've got no. her message. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, as for where I've been, it's it's been a slow week for me. I've been to a lot of restaurants, but mostly for research, not for full meals or for social occasions. I'll tell you, I've been working with the LVCVA, lending a hand on some food videos they're creating for their TikTok channel. You'll be able to follow those at, at Vegas if you're a TikToker. Uh, so we've been bouncing ideas around for a few weeks. They're preparing to shoot the first of them, uh, which is going to spotlight some of my favorite desserts. So before we did that, I went out this past weekend to, you know, you refresh your memory. Yeah. You start talking about things oh, on yeah. camera until oh, you yeah. had them again. So um, three places I hit. Uh, we did the giant fortune cookie at Tao. It's as much fun as it always was. Right. You know, it's a really cool. <laughs> it's just, it's fun. And, you know, the kind of slightly dirty um, fortunes, adult fortunes they put in it. The, <laughs> dark chocolate on one side of the fortune cookie, white chocolate on the other. I'm a white cho chocolate nut. I love tearing off the cookie, dipping it in fresh seasonal fruit. It's great. You've had it before. Yes. The Wonder Wheel at Beauty in Essex, great Instagrammable thing. There's like eight little things, on, eight little seats on a Ferris wheel that spin around. <laughs> and their pastry too teams making up a lot of new kind of French style pastries to put in that and change it up every couple of weeks what they offer. They offered a wonder wheel at Catch too and I saw it go by a couple of times little little donuts cool. with various fillings inside. Same deal? Yeah, it's the same wow. basic deal, and I had a lot of fun with it. It's sort of fun. You take uh, you, the food's in front of you. You put, take out the bottom, and then the weight shifts on the Ferris wheel. Oh, yeah. It actually spins oh. around and brings <laughs> you something new. I love it. It's like an ultimate lazy Susan. That's but, pretty you know, cool. Um, no, vertical. vertical lazy vertical brilliant lazy Susan but um, also man the banana cream pie at cut and I want to say a little more about this than I'll be able to say on a TikTok video where you have like three seconds right um, apparently you know the banana cream pie was always a popular item at Wolfgang Puck's restaurants particularly cut about three or four years ago I guess he came in and said look this is just boring we need to make it exciting what are you going to do because it was a classic banana cream pie and now they've created just like everything at Cut, they're at their best when they deconstruct a classic item, right. give you all the elements in a way you've never seen before. So this bastard comes to your table in this, it's chocolate, but it's a golden chocolate. It's brushed with gold uh, globe. And then they pour the hot caramel sauce on it and it melts. A lot of people are doing that these days. But inside you have all the elements of the banana cream pie. You've got the, car the caramelized uh, bananas in there. You've got their house-made Cool Whip. You've got their house-made vanilla wafers. Little gold leaf to make it fancy pants. And i got to say, it's a mind-blowing dessert. I was, I was so happy I got I back in there it. to try it. So you guys should definitely uh, <laughs> check that out. <laughs> I'd put it up against Emeralds. <clears throat> Emerald Lagasse. Yeah. Eat, like well, he's known for that. Oh, right? man. I mean, I'll tell you. If for just a real classic right. real down there, it's something that's going to satisfy. But, hey, that sounds cool. You can have the two of them side by side because they're right across there from each that's other. That's true. That's true. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's a good way to make a diner round. Just do a banana cream pie diner round. Mm. <laughs> Uh, look, I believe I mentioned the new pop-up at Here Kitty Kitty last week, but I did pay a second visit to the Resorts World Speakeasy this week. This time I was there to chat with um, Zoo Group Operations Manager Chris Rossetti about the House of Suntory's Tokyo Vice Den pop-up, which runs through, I believe, October 1st. So let's hear what he had to say. The concept that we ran with um, was like a Japanese sushi vice den uh, brought to life by House of Suntory. Um, they've done this concept elsewhere but not necessarily on the scale where they've taken over a whole venue for, for three, four months. Um, we pitched the idea to them. They loved it and decided that they really wanted to go all in. Um, we gave them some creative direction, but for the most part, they brought this whole thing to life. Centauri, one of the things they're known for is uh, creating and having the patent for the perfect highball machine. So we do have three highball cocktails featured on our specialty menu, uh, along with uh, four specialty cocktails, um, where if you're not a fan of highballs, you'll find something else you'll like there that are all very Japanese-inspired, really, the tastes of what you would expect from that culture. So that's running for another month or so over there. I like, um, what is it? I always want to call it Hello Kitty Kitty. Yeah, I know. Here Kitty Kitty. Here I love Kitty, Here Kitty, Kitty, Kitty Kitty. So check it out. <laughs> Hidden behind the little door there. Speaking the of Hello Kitty, Kitty, they have a couple pop-ups here in their ice cream thing. There's one at uh, Fashion Show Mall. And there were 40 people in line for that thing uh, 10 minutes after they opened up. 
That thing was always at um at the park in front of T-Mobile. It was there like every night's game yeah, that I went I to. I don't, so I don't know. Now it's, it's I don't sort of Hello Kitty between the escalators about halfway down. It's it's uh, you know if you amazing need, and appalling all at once. If you ever need um yeah Hello Kitty news, check with Melinda Shekels. She's a big fan. <laughs> okay, oh, no. we'll do. Um, finally, man, I have. I'm not going to go into all the dishes because they're not available anymore. But um, <laughs> I have to congratulate Chef Damien Evers of the Cirque, Chef Danny Yato of Washington D.C. Chiquette. It was an amazing France meets Spain collaboration dinner last week at Cirque. Uh, just one after another. No. I have so many brilliant memories of the Cirque meals over the yeah. decades. This no is another one to add to it. So congrats. And I'm not going to tease you telling you what the dishes were because you can't order them. They're not on the menu. But I did have this great um, guinea hen. I did have this great guinea hen dish that he said he might be bringing back for Thanksgiving. Oh, neat. So he's pointing to your line there, Rick. Yeah, that means you, wants, where yeah. it says Rick Moon, and that means Rick Moonen reads means this you part. Read that oh, part. Ready? Yeah, okay. all right, and here we go for his very first tease. No pressure. Stop it, for you. All right. Hey, coming up in the news, huh? <laughs> uh, take two. <laughs> coming up in the news, a $10,000 dinner with a very different kind of bottle service. But first, throwing shade on ghost kitchens and get the <laughs> melted butter ready, that banana-colored lobster. I think he may be going to the pot. <laughs> this is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you are in Vegas. You're hungry and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. So I want to change things up a bit this week. Uh, rather than one large roundtable round discussion with multiple guests, I want to break this next segment up into a couple topics. First, I had a really interesting conversation this week with Chef Iman Hagag, the woman behind the plant-based Pots Egyptian cuisine. Last we heard from her, she had lost her lease. She was looking for a new home. Turns out she decided to do a ghost kitchen concept, signed up for this new tech startup, Cloud Kitchen. Um, look, we probably all remember, even before COVID, ghost kitchens were being hailed as the salvation of restaurants. I was not buying it then. The pandemic hit, and I was proven wrong. It was very much the salvation of a lot of restaurants during the pandemic. And I think a lot of people thought we were going to switch to a, a heavy ghost kitchen idea permanently, forever. We were never going to go out again. You remember, I got asked to write those articles all the time. Right. Um, so it's no surprise, Ghost Kitchen raised a buttload of money to try to build a national network of or Cloud Kitchen to build this national network of ghost kitchens. I don't know a lot about it. I know it has Saudi backing. I know some big tech players are involved. A year or two ago, a lot of local chefs I knew were excited about it. So recently I saw Diana Edelman posting that Potts was having trouble and that um, Chef Iman was having some trouble. I think she's really important to Las Vegas. I mean, it's a female chef running her own restaurant. She's doing Egyptian food, which you do not get a lot of in this town. It is plant-based and vegan 100%, but it's mixing it up. It's not the typical things you get at other places. So I just wanted to meet with her, find out what's going on. Uh, turns out she's got a lot of problems with the company she's working with. I didn't dig deep into that because I didn't think it would be fair to let her you know, talk about specific issues that I couldn't research. But I do think it's important that she's having issues going on. And I've, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast 
own restaurants or want to own restaurants. Some of you may be thinking of going the cloud kitchen route. So um, I'm just going to play you about 15 minutes of our conversation. If the folks from cloud kitchen ever want to come on and talk about it, fine. I think this needs to be addressed in a much more serious venue than me talking shit on my podcast. I'd like mm -hmm. to see, hey, RJ people, hey, Eater people, those of you who have a platform to do an in-depth dive. Maybe, you know, I'm just getting the conversation started here. I think there's something that needs to be talked about. So let's hear what we said. Last time you and I spoke, we were sitting in your restaurant. I was with um, Diana Edelman, and she and I were talking about a bunch of things that were going on. But you were, I guess you had lost your lease, or you're, well, you were out of that lease at the Potts Egyptian that you had been in for how long? How long were you in that restaurant space? We've been in this, uh, in this space for five years, and uh, my landlord just decided to uh, not renewing. The, the lease because we didn't have an option in our lease we didn't know about it so unfortunately he wouldn't renew it and then afterward um, he didn't reach out even so we just discovered a couple of weeks ago that he put it back on the market for 65 percent the markup so that was then that explains what everybody's going through, which sucks. So what was interesting was when you and I spoke at the time, we talked about some, I mean, I, not that I know how to run a restaurant, but talked about some ideas that you had. Um, and I know what you ended up doing was go the ghost kitchen route, right? Could you tell me a bit about that? So what happened is that was the fastest, most um, convenient for us at the time is to get in and plug in something especially after going out of the pandemic it was mostly delivery and pickup for our store so it was around 70 percent of our sales that was pickup so i was like okay maybe we can try the concept of the future and we tried the cloud kitchen concept but coming from a sit down dine in having the experience of talking to me, explaining the history of the food, all of that, that affected a lot of our clientele and, and the people that used to the fact that they will come and we welcome them in our, you know, location. So we lost a lot of them people. Second part is that the concept itself is broken. So from what we saw, like I just read an article about Ghost Kitchen a couple of days ago, uh, on on a website and they were talking about the dream that they sold but it came out to be a nightmare and whatever I was dealing with in this location in Las Vegas location was common in 60 other locations around the country which was shocking to me that it's not fixed this is the way their business model is 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 designed so pretty much you are on your own you get the promise of um, promoting your business, uh, premium location, all of those things to make you accessible to, to people that you wouldn't even reach, especially it's at the back of the stratosphere. So with that, I thought, okay, you know, my people would come and those are a whole new clientele that I'm super close from them. That wasn't the case whatsoever. Uh, no, no marketing. Uh, the, the, the internet is pretty much broken most of the time, not to add the the troubles in the uh, in the location itself so from cutting out electricity every couple of days like in the three months i've been there four times it got cut, shut down and we had to replace everything uh then the talk about reimbursement and all this stuff but i mean that's that's days lost food lost i mean i'm i'm very anti-waste too <laughs> so so just i, I want to take people back a little bit because the ghost kitchen concept had been growing in popularity prior to COVID. And when COVID happened, suddenly, and everybody got switched to a takeout or delivery option, we were told that this ghost kitchen concept was going to be sort of the future of restaurants. Nobody was ever going to want to eat out in public again. And so uh, I know people who have set up their own ghost kitchens. And then, but I believe you're dealing with a larger conglomerate that you became part of. So, so t tell me exactly who you went into business with, how it was supposed to work. So it's it's a monstrous company. It's called the Cloud Kitchen. Cloud Kitchen Company is a 15 billion dollar valuation company. So it's super huge. The the owner or the co-owner of that is the person that created Uber. I mean, what else? All the data, all the analytic. All of that supposed to be given with with the contract. The only best thing about this is that you can come out of the contract. It's a yearly contract, and they pretty much don't care. 
they have a 70 percent rollover. So whomever I start with, when I first came in in three months, 17 of those went away. So the concept itself is based on delivery and pickup. It's a one location that has around 25 restaurants. Some of them are big names, some of them are small names. So for one like me that already had a brand and being in the business for five years, I already have an audience or people that wait for my food. But a lot of the other kitchen, they just the starting. So it's kind of experimental for the concept before launching your own space, pretty much. But it's not because the, the, the rent is super high. We paying over pretty much the same amount that we pay in or that we used to pay in our uh, restaurant adding to that all the fees because the dealing is all internet based so a lot of the fees from uber and grubhub that take a bigger chunk out of our profit they already super small so it will take a while for it to rebuild the concept itself can be working later on but not with the status that it's on or in right now. Oh, look, I am super sympathetic to the growing pains of a new tech startup, having tried to start my own app, and I'm in the process of, of trying to figure out how to market it and promote it. So I get that, it, that it's been very slow, and um, I, hopefully it will end up working for either for you or for this company or for other people who are involved with it, because it is an option, but it's... It, I guess the fact that it was sort of hailed that this was going to be sort of the new way to that everyone was going to be dining this way. You just are not you're not sold clearly. I'm a big believer in technology and I was one of the first people to integrate technology and social media in, in my platform and I try to reach people that way. So I'm a big fan in the concept itself. But with with what's happening, I don't think the consumer want that especially now like now we are open we are back in the streets we want to experience new things not stay at home so i don't think it will be sustainable for the now it could be later on when everybody's busy and sitting at home and it doesn't want to get out but as far as for now i don't see it happening you have to be not just going for the food you're going for the food the experience and all of that for you to be successful and attract the the new kind of customers that they're looking for that and and i was honestly when some of my friends told me they were either starting their own ghost kitchens or with the same company that you're with i mean that was my fear all along was that it was a salvation during covid but that maybe we assumed things were going to change permanently. And what we're seeing is a backlash against staying home right now. I think people are excited about going out. They want to com- you know, commune with friends and like-minded people. I also think that for the, the vegan community whom you address, is, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, is a very, much more community-based group of diners. They're about something more so than other people and they're not monolithic they're not all you know not all vegans are the same i'm not trying to say that in any way shape or form but with the specialty type of cuisine like egyptian food which you serve which some people don't know anything at all about so you have very a niche audience for people who know egyptian food also a niche audience for people who are vegans and who are very insistent on having a hundred percent plant-based restaurant in a day when you can get plant-based dishes at lots of restaurants but they're coming to you because they like that you're 100 percent committed i feel like those people want to be together in a room with other like-minded people am i right on that 100 percent, i agree 100 percent. and that's another thing the connection between me and the community that i'm serving and my own customer which is the vegan adventurous uh, curious about the food customer uh, i don't see I don't see now because you're dealing with like a front office kind of thing. They don't care about the customer service from a a restaurant owner perspective. They just want to deliver it and get it out of the way. So the conversation that I have with my customer explaining what is the food, why why it's vegan, how long it's been vegan, all of those questions and curiosity that it's embedded in my vegan adventurous customer It's not answered. So you don't reach another people because they hesitate about trying something new when they don't have the knowledge about it. So 
that cut a lot of my my customer base also i i rely on my reviews and 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 i'm i have a great reviews on every platform that i have and that's basically from hospitality combining with flavor that's what i what i serve so if you cut half of it off uh, pretty much it's it's uh, it's a very transactional kind of situation now it's not you know he's not coming back or he's coming back just for the food to take it and leave so this relationship that i've been building for the last 5 years start to diminish as well well, I have to say, I mean, personally, you know, when you say the same people that are behind Uber, behind the food thing, I, you know, that's always been my biggest problem with technology companies is they're great at technology, but what do they know about the topic that they're trying to sell through the technology? And, I, and I'm not bad-mouthing this company, and I would certainly welcome them onto my show to talk about why they think their business model is good at any time. But there is that problem, right, is the people who are building the technology may not be totally aware of the th the idiosyncrasies of the food market. I mean, I, I agree that the specialty is very important, but the problem is that they didn't get the people that specialize in the restaurant business to cater as the managers, as the people that like take care of the cleaning part, all of that. It's all about cutting costs and making the most margin. And that's known in technology. Like we cannot even <laughs> talk. Sometimes they just try to give shit away for free for a really long time to get us hooked on it. But that's part of the market that they don't do now. <laughs> So some of the places, like in, in other location, I didn't have to deal with that. But from the article that I mentioned, some of them, they, would do, they used to do that. Like letting a restaurant to give like free food for the introduction of food and getting people in the doors. And they reimbursed them. That didn't happen to me. And it was working for other restaurants. Once they stop, people stop coming. So it's, it's, they don't know about how restaurant business work and how the relationship build over the years. It's a long-term situation. It's not just pick up and go. Restaurant has a relationship with its own customer, the area, the, the, the decoration. I mean, it's, it's every part of the business model that you are representing to your customer, not just the food. Now, the, the most important thing to me about you and your food and your restaurant is that we don't lose pots, Egyptian cooking here in Las Vegas, that people know that you're still out there. They know you're making a type of food that they are not going to get anywhere else in Las Vegas, maybe not anywhere else in the continental United States other than two or three cities that I could think of, right? Um, so vegan Egyptian cuisine. So how are you doing now? If people want to eat your food, where can they get it right now? How can they get it right now? So as for now and still till now, we are still in this uh, Cloud Kitchen location, 333 St. Louis Boulevard, 89102 for the now. But I don't know what will come next. It's like draining money like a broken pipe. <laughs> so hopefully we can last till the end of the year in this place till we find another house. But I don't know. I mean, I'm coming up with other concepts to kind of funnel different income. So I'm coming up with a seasoning product, um, a, a take on a chili oil that I'm uh, that I worked on for so long. I'm I'm ready to launch couple of, couple of projects that I'm thinking there will be another way to stay relevant till we figure out how we're gonna move to other place. But you are still looking to find new brick and mortar, find new landlord, a new area of town that you can open up a, a mainstream tr traditional restaurant. I wouldn't make a promise yet because, like I said, we leaking money. So I don't have this ability now, but maybe later, like, you know, when, when stuff get better, I think. Okay, so what can people do to help, I guess? That's the question. Just come in and order food now? In order. <laughs> Try to stack that money <laughs> for us when we are ready to open up again. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we stay relevant for the... We will check. I mean, I, I cannot promise anything. <laughs> and what if somebody's listening right now, one of my friends, you know who you are out there. You know who you are, who have, um, who have real estate, who have properties, who are building out restaurant concepts, who are building out shopping centers. Let's say they want something that's really badass and cool. Are you available to go in and do Egyptian vegan food? 
100% if he's 100% in, I'm totally with him. That would be awesome and great to have the help of the community. And I was always, 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 always be part of the community. And I love you guys. And I appreciate every support and every word that came my way thanking me for, for the food, for the service. And you kept me going. So thank you so much. Okay, so that's where she is, and I honestly hope she's able to find a new home and a new concept, something that she's able to do, make some money. I mean, she's a treasure. She's a real treasure. You know, she's trying to do everything. She gets sucked up in the the hype of a lot of uh, you know what was going on at the time. You know, I'm old school. You know, I'm I'm hospitality. I'm face to face, sit down, let me take care of you. Kind of, uh, you know, that was my entire career. So to the whole ghost kitchen thing, I got I got sucked up in the idea of it. I really did. And I don't think it's, I think it's going to have a place, but the longevity and the growth of it, I think, has come to a stall right now. And I think there's a reason for it. Everybody's dying to see each other. I'm, I'm repeating. Yeah. But, I mean, I believe in what I heard, you know, and I just, I just think that ghost kitchens are maybe a great way to try out a new concept and that's it. Not to, to, to start signing in like it's a, you know, a, a franchise. Because yeah. that's what they do. They get sucked in and then like, she, I, I blew my mind when she said she's paying the same amount that she would for a brick and mortar. Oh, I man. mean, are you kidding me? Right. I mean, they're just sucking And then with fees that are happening. No, and- bullshit. Food delivery services have been happening way before COVID. You know, I mean, I was in New York. There was a tuxedoed company that would pick up and drop off in, you know, in black sedans food from Oceana and you know I was very hesitant that the concept was no freaking way my food's not meant to travel they tried it it failed but you know it's it's not the first time it's been tried I go back to college in the early 70s in Eugene Oregon and the 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 regional Pizza Hut franchise had trucks with ovens and so they would you'd call it in they'd assemble it and then they'd put it in the truck and you would it would bake on the way to you. So it was real hot. High overhead didn't really work like having a bunch of poor people in their crappy cars take the thing <laughs> as fast as they could after it came out of the oven, which is, you know, the, the Domino's model that worked, but but it was admirable for the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so next up for this section, um, let's talk about that lobster. You know, uh, and, and actually, let's not talk about that lobster. You know, I feel bad that maybe Milo's got a little bad press because I put this you know, colored lobster up there. They're, they're, they're doing nothing wrong. They're they're doing amazing no. things as they always do. But the background was I went in, they had a yellow lobster there. I thought, this is cool. I'm going to post it, post a picture online. Most people are like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And a couple of people are like, it's horrible. It's oh, so rare. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah, eat yeah. the fucking thing. Okay. Donate it to science. Do this shit. Um, so, I, you know, I, I was like, oh, I don't think that's really right. I know the people at Milos, they care about sustainability, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I don't give them shit over this, but I never want to attack people who are at least showing some concern about sustainability right. and treating the oceans with respect. So first thing I did, you put me in touch with some folks over at um, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium. Yep. They're yep. my go-to on whether things are okay yep. to eat. Um, I had a little trouble getting through to them, but then I got in touch with these, um, this school in New England <laughs> where they, they study lobsters and they actually have a yellow lobster on display there. They have some other lobsters on display <laughs> there. Um, so I called them. I'm like, why the fuck are you guys keeping, you know what? Actually, let's start with that. So with me right now on the phone, I have professor Charles Tilburg, PhD, and he is the ac- academic director of the university of new England school of marine and environmental programs. You are located in new England. You study marine and environmental programs. I'm guessing, you know, a little something about lobsters. <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) The reason we are calling you and the background on this is that I came across a uniquely colored lobster at a a restaurant that I very much enjoy here in Las Vegas. I posted some pictures of it on social media. And while most people were just fascinated by it and enjoyed watching it, there were a few who were a little upset that this thing was going to be eaten. There were other people who were suggesting it needed to be preserved. It needed to be returned to the ocean where it can do whatever it is lobsters do on the bottom of the ocean. And some that thought it should be in an aquarium somewhere. Now, I know that your school actually has some very cool colored lobsters on display. Am I correct there? And could you tell me a bit about them? Uh, you are correct. We actually have a, a number of lobsters. We, we have a yellow lobster, kind of like the one that you saw. Her name, her name is Banana, which is pretty funny because I think you called your, bana- uh, your lobster a banana lobster. We have another lobster that is blue. His name is Blueberry. Then we have a really interesting split lobster that split right down the center. On one half, he's yellow, 
and on the other half, he's you know the normal color of a lobster, and his name is either Banana Split or <laughs> Harvey from Batman. Uh, you know, the district attorney that was you know Two Face, I think was his name, and 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 the comics. Very cool. Very cool. And I have seen that one. The banana split, I think, was what it was labeled in the photo that I saw online. And he was very cool to look at. And I do love that you have these cool lobsters there to look at. Um, But could you tell me why this school decided to take them in? Are you actually learning anything from studying them? Or is it just to show them off? Or are you trying to preserve them and breed them? (laughs) What's the what's the reason for giving them a special home that is not covered in um, in melted butter? For a couple of reasons, it's interesting that here up in Maine, when lobstermen get lobsters, when they catch lobsters that you know are different colors, like albino or they're blue or they're yellow or, or something like that, they usually aren't interested in putting them back, and they're also not interested in selling them to somebody who would want to eat them. They the they contacted the Department of Natural Resources, who contacted us and said, "Do you want one of these oddly colored colored lobsters?" And I said, absolutely. You know, these are these are fantastic, you know, uh, representatives of what's going on in the ocean. They're, you know, keep everybody interested. And so we got one. We got banana. She was our first one. And then we became known as the location for these lobsters. So anytime a lobsterman in the Gulf of Maine catches one, they contact us and say, hey, (laughs) would you be interested in this? And we are. And the, the, the main reason why we care about them is that these colors are due to a genetic mutation, usually, you know, uh, caused by some variation in the environment. And so our students can then study what's causing the genetic mutation. What does that do to the lobster and how does that affect the lobster for the rest of their life? You know, typically here at the University of New England. So it is a teaching tool. And it's also just you know, really cool for our, our, our students to see these fantastic genetic marvels of, of an animal. Yeah, and I can imagine that that's it's an incredible learning opportunity. I guess what I think about is, you know, I'm out here in a desert. By the time a lobster gets to any restaurant here or most restaurants in the world, I mean, you know, they, they're most likely just shipped up. They're in a crate or however it is they're shipped across the country. And I don't think anybody's intentionally keeping the colored ones. But at the same time, when they get here. I personally don't see any reason, and I've spoken to some environmental folks who so far have not found any reason that you shouldn't be eating them, that it's not going to make something go extinct that's out there in the environment, that it's not going to hurt the ecosystem by not throwing them back, which you're demonstrating by not throwing them back yourself. Um, So should I feel bad if I eat this lobster? I don't think so. No, no, you're, you know, you're, you're completely correct in that it's a genetic mutation. It's not a different species. They're not endangered. You know, you, you are not cutting off, you know, a new line of, you know, a new species or anything like that. So I don't think you should feel guilty about eating one. I mean, I personally would rather, you know, that, you know, if you shipped one to, you know, Las Vegas, I would, I would rather go in a, an aquarium in Las Vegas to get people more interested in lobsters and the marine environment and the, you know, the ocean and things like that. To me, it's a missed opportunity, not, not a reason to feel guilty, but I think there's other things you can do and they don't taste any different. So there's, you know, a yellow lobster doesn't taste better or worse than a normal lobster. Yeah. And look, I think it would be great if, if there were an aquarium that wanted to take one of these. Um, but it's interesting. I have told I have had a lot of friends who work in seafood restaurants tell me that they're rare. They're very rare colored lobsters, but they're not once in a lifetime rare. The people who actually work in busy seafood kitchens do see these from time to time. Um, you know, have have you come across that as well up in New England? Do the fishermen see them? You know, it's it's not like, oh, my God, I've never seen one of those before, because that's what I'm hearing from chefs in kitchens. Yes. I mean, you know, you 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 hear numbers thrown out that, you know, it's one in 10 million. It's, you know, it's one in two million. It's one in you know 20 million. But we catch millions of lobsters a year. It's not surprising. Like we, you know, two or three months ago, we had two blue lobsters in in our facility. You know, I wouldn't say they're common, but they're not once in a lifetime. Right. I'm assuming that probably in the next couple of years, we'll we'll find another yellow lobster. (laughs) They they are out there. 
considering how many millions of lobsters there are in the ocean, you should expect these genetic mutations. Okay, so thank you for setting that straight. I do one last topic I want to touch on because probably nobody understands this better than you. And I've I reached out to some of my friends of at uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium to ask them, you know, any concerns with eating lobsters in general. They're generally my go-to source, and it's it came to my attention really quickly that um, they are rethinking how they should classify. Um, lobsters that are from the fisheries of Southern New England, that they are either considering putting them on a red list or they're, they're at least they're looking at it because of um, the bycatch of the right whale. And I know that Canada and some other places have um, have instituted new types of traps, new types of pots, whatever it is. I'm sorry, I'm not that familiar with how lobsters are caught commercially, but that, you know, Canada has made some steps in trying to make it so that the, these lobster lobster fishermen are, are still protecting these endangered whale. Do you know anything about that and how that's affecting the fisheries of, um, of Southern New England right now? Are they considering new, new trends in fishing techniques that might be more um, viable for cross, you know, the cross catch. You've touched on like the third rail of Gulf of Maine fisheries right now. Yes. <laughs> so the the lobs the lobsters that we have here, the right whales, get entangled in the the lines that that connect the lobster pots that are on the bottom up to the you know the buoys that that float on the surface. And if they get caught in enough of these, they they can act they can actually perish. And so. There's been a lot of thought, and is there any other way to do this? Can they have weighted lines that you know don't float along the surface where the right whales go? You know, do do we need to put them in different places? Do we need to come up with you know remotely operated uh, you know lobster lobster pots that you know sink to the bottom and then you know they you go by them and you remotely operate something that has them float to the surface, and that is a huge controversy right now in the Gulf of Maine and in New England because, you know, you're pitting someone who that's their livelihood. That's how they make their money. You know, that's how they support their family with, you know, these absolutely beautiful right whales. And so, you know, that is something that we're definitely right now trying to figure out how can we preserve the lobster industry, but also protect the right whales. And quite frankly, we don't have a good solution yet. And so we're still working on that. So your friends at Mbari are, are definitely talking about the right things right now. Okay. Well, we will keep our eyes on that as it develops. Obviously, I, I always encourage people to support things that are the most environmental, environmentally friendly uh, possible. And I do keep my eyes on what Monterey does, but I'd always love if they should change their, um, their update on how they classify certain fisheries. Uh, I hope you'd be willing to come back and chat with us a little bit about that more in the future. Uh, absolutely. Well, great, man. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks for telling us about your cool lobsters. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, Rick. So where does this leave us? Wow. Well, okay. So it's with the, just take the last thing he said. It's okay to eat them. Melt the damn butter and get going. <laughs> you yeah. know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a whole uh, marketing, you know, um, strategy, which I find brilliant. You know, when I was in New York in 2017, can I tell a little story? Please here? do. Yeah. All right. So I got a phone call from a buddy of mine who I used to hang out with after we went out. After we worked, we went out to, we shot pool, drank beers, smoked cigarettes, you know, played cards. You know, we, so uh, this guy, uh, his name is uh, Massimo, Massimo Vidoni, worked for Bosco Vivo. He sold trucks. Truffles, white truffles, black truffles, depending on the time of year. So I knew him. He smoked cigarettes. I gave him an Oceana cigarette lighter, right? It was a, I embossed it. And it you know, get, so it was a Zippo. He smoked. So we got a call in the middle of the night, one night, in, uh, from Italy. And they said they've, got, they've unearthed the large white truffle that they've ever seen. And they want to have someone that's committed to buying it before they ship it and send it. So he was like, holy shit, in the middle of the night, he gets, has a cigarette, he looks at Oceani, he calls me, just because <laughs> of that, right? This, yeah. this had happened since, because I didn't buy a lot of truffles. I wasn't a big truffle buyer, there was bigger truffles, Daniel Ballou and all these other guys were buying, you know, or who cares, there was a lot of chefs out there that bought more. So um, I, I, he says he's got this 2.6 pound white truffle that they just <laughs> unearthed, and uh, would I be interested in it? Yeah, how much? $3,600, $3,600. <laughs> 
for two point five. What would that cost these days? <laughs> oh, that'd be eighteen thousand. You cut that on the street, and no, you're so, talking you know, a million. So I said, yeah, send it to me. They sent it to me. I mean, it became a ceremony at the James Beard Foundation, CNN. Jane, Jane Moose, Jean, Jeannie Moose, Jeannie Moose, original CNN. She's Jeannie Moose with her voice, and she's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. So we should we Most. put this thing in a box, walked up and down Madison Avenue with the CNN crew and the cameras, <laughs> asking people, what is that? And they smell it. It smells like feet. You know, some people didn't. Some guy on a bike, you know, is it one of those guys that was at that time? These how things got tra- couriers. Couriers, thank yeah. you. Stops and he smells. Ah, oh, that's a white truffle from a white, from a Piedmonte, Piedmonte, Italy. He's like, from oh, the shit. north side Nailed of the field. It. So anyway, the, the point is this: a very, very, very rare find. I purchased it. That clip from CNN ended up on Alitalia for three years. You, you, <laughs> that was a captive audience. Nobody had phones, internet, yeah. any of this stuff. Yeah. So, and so that kind of press was amazing. Now, should we have kept the truffle in there and had a ceremony around it <laughs> right. and, and reburied it because now it's going to make bigger truffles? <laughs> it's the same damn mentality. <laughs> you know, if you're going to pay, get somebody to pay $3,000 for that white banana colored uh, bana- uh, you know, lobster, lobster, God bless you. Enjoy. Have this, and like you said, hell. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Rich, just get the butter. <laughs> get the butter. But again, I do want to say I, I appreciate that there are people who are thinking at no, least in absolutely. terms of respecting yeah. the ocean. And I was a little disturbed to hear that New England lobsters, especially Southern New England lobsters, may very oh, well yes. end up on a red the red list, and well, that Canada's doing better stuff than that's New England. Uh, it's just being stubborn, oh, stubborn, sir. stubborn. It's the way we've always These done people it. People think there that's are. That's the way it is. Oh, no, we're not changing the hell with the lie with the whales yeah you know they, they treat the ocean like it's land like this border well, no it's okay they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out it's just gonna take yeah. a long time because that's just the way it is very it's... stubborn i'm to know that from an ex-wife ah, <laughs> i know that from grandparents uh, born. so let me ask you though are, are, do you still believe monterey bay aquarium their seafood watch program is the best place if you are curious about what you should be eating what you shouldn't be eating is that still your go-to authority yes yeah, so the golden standard al truly and I'm, not, and I'm not reading off a script here. You know, they yeah. take science. They take a lot of data. It's not just, it's science-based, though. For those who don't believe in science, you're going to hate it. But I don't <laughs> care because I believe in science. Because these are, there's a, a lot of data being taken care of, t- taken uh, all the time. You know, and it comes together. You know, NOAA, N-O-A-H, you know, is an organization that monitors everything. They've got so much information. To, that so now they're starting to use through science-based um, decision-making process, not just spitting in a hand and saying, well, they should be good this year. Yeah. You know, yeah. Setting quotas and whatnot. So um, Monterey Bay Aquarium um, has an assessment uh, program. They, do, they don't make decisions. They just take science, and science makes a decision. They make a, a, a set of a, a graphic, a, yeah. sort of a Metrics so that you know, in order to get into the green category of, so it's it's a traffic light, you know, red, yeah. green, and yellow. So they put out the numbers, and it's the organization that puts the value on it. Correct, green, yellow, red. That's right. That's right. So um, yes, and, a, and a long answer to a quick question. Sorry. No, but it's important to me that people do check with Monterey because you know, Rick. For those who may not know, you know, Rick, you were vital in giving uh, swordfish a break back in the '90s or maybe yeah. before that, yeah. um, and helping repopulate that population. Uh, but over the years, there have been a lot of fish that you've told me don't eat this, don't eat that. But then five years later, they come back. They come off of that red list sometimes. There yep. have been some things that I was swore I should never eat, and then I look, and because of the efforts of people like yourself, people like Monterey Bay Aquarium, they come back from the brink. They come back from the brink of extinction. So it is important to stay up to date because just because you think something was bad 10 years ago doesn't mean it is. Just because something was okay 10 years ago doesn't mean it is. And if you are concerned, don't just pick some bullshit thing to be concerned about because it's what got you worked up that day because you saw a pretty lobster. Look okay, and look. see what you should be. You know, I, I want to just put a little disclaimer, not disclaimer, in addition to it all, the mentality of it. Remember that when something goes red, you know, or, or let's just say that uh, you can no longer get swordfish. Let's just say swordfish. It's not that swordfish no longer exist. It's just that it's not commercially viable to gas up your, your boat, go out after yeah. them. There's not enough of them. It's not worth it. We're back. We're ready to go to something else. So there's still fish out there. There's always a chance. 
you know, so, and we've seen a lot of rebounds, you know, throughout history. I don't want to even name, number, name them all, but, you know, striped bass on the East Coast, and now striped bass are in the problem again. They go yeah. through a cycle of problems. You know? And individual rivers on the West Coast, up in the Northwest, the salmon are almost gone, and then they're back because of uh, right. remediation. Yeah. So it's just about respecting environments allowing them to do what they do naturally and not hammer them like crazy, you know, and figure out the right amount. And that's what NOAA is supposed to do. So all of these organizations, I see working more together than I've ever seen in my career. And I've been, it's been a single subject focus on mine for three decades. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's a good amount of time to watch that kind of change. And it's, it's going in a great direction. Martha Stewart's opening her doors. And when did a real estate company become a barbecue expert? News is next. This is Food and Loathing. It is time for the news. So let's kick it off with the story for the money is no object crowd. Is that you, Rich? Rich? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that you, Rich? Uh, <laughs> how many zeros? Not so much. Particularly those of you rich folk who really know wine. Um, look, Win Las Vegas is joining forces with the Napa Valley's domain, William H. Harlan which is apparently the parent company of some very high-end vineyards. And together, they're hosting three wine dinners on September 10th, October 15th, and November 12th. Each will feature a different vineyard. It's Harlan Estate, Bond, and Promontory. Those names mean nothing to me, but <laughs> apparently this is some shit that you can't get anywhere a lot of times. It's the Rich Boys Club. Yes. Um, they each will have a different win chef. We've got Mark LaRusso, Josh Smith, and Min Kim. They'll each be held at a unique location. We know one will be a VIP suite. The other will be on the 18th hole of the Wynn Golf Course, but there's a lot more details to be announced. Tickets are limited to 20 diners per customer. The price is that cool 10K. And I spoke to Wynn's um, Brian Weitzman about it. From a wine perspective, we're actually getting several vintages of Harlan, uh, a state for the first one. And they were kind enough to, we're going to actually, we're going to be serving everything out of Magnum. And they have a partnership with Krug. So we'll be serving uh, a few different cuvées from, from Krug to start. Uh, with Bond, we're actually going to do all five vineyards with 10 years in between uh, and things like that. So six course dinners, really unique locations. And I think the kicker is any guest that attends a specific dinner gets to bypass the waiting list, which could be up to six years and get automatic membership and an immediate allocation. So they would have access to, to wines that you literally can't find anywhere else. So could you describe what one of these meals is gonna be like, what the entire experience is like when somebody signs up for one of these? So right when they sign up, they're gonna stay at the tower, in the tower suites room, so they'll check in. Uh, looks like we're gonna have a cocktail reception for them if they like to join even before the event. Then we're going to kick off the event with champagne, canapes, caviar, some indulgences. Then we'll take them to an undisclosed location. Uh, we're going to have you know, at least a six-course wine-pairing dinner uh, with more champagne, more vintages. So the wineries are actually, each winery is going to open their personal li wine library and re-release some back vintages, some really early vintages from each estate. So they'll be able to taste some really unique wines uh, that you're just not gonna see in the, in the marketplace. And then we expect to have a few secret parting gifts uh, for the guest as well. Now that's 10K ahead, not 10K for the table, right? 10K ahead, but nothing yeah. extra for the wine. Oh, yeah. So wait, oh, so yeah. do, you get, do you get all three experiences? No, no, 10K, but you do get wow. a room in the Wind Tower Suites is also included. Right. You get a welcome reception. The vineyards are um, also in conjunction with Krug, House right. of Krug, so yeah. you'll have a Krug champagne oh, reception. super top. Prior to that. Yeah. Um, but here's the deal. If you are a wine person, this is what makes it a real money is no object. Apparently, not being a wine guy, I didn't know this, but to get the very rare releases from fine wineries you need to be on a special top secret list right yes, yes it's one of those deals so if you go to one of these dinners 
you have a lifetime on the list um, of that winery that did that. So yeah. for some people, shelling out the 10K is, I'm sure, just a way to spend a couple hundred K sure. over the next few years buying expensive wine. It's like paying for the school yeah. to get your dumb kid into. <laughs> yeah. on the rowing scholarship <laughs> oh I love it no sense of balance if you're looking for a place to dine this weekend the Bedford by Martha Stewart will be opening in Paris Las Vegas I'll be attending the grand opening shindig on Friday I hope to have more on that next week for those of you who don't need to wait to hear from me to know you want to get in to see Martha the restaurant is now taking reservations and I just got an email from a company called Clever which is a real estate data company and they are claiming that las vegas is the number five barbecue city in america Ooh. behind san antonio austin san jose and nashville i mean as someone who likes the local barbecue scene i like it a whole lot i'm still not sure i'm buying that like where the yeah. fuck is kansas city it's at number 10 where's anything in the carolinas one spot above memphis which is 11 um these guys used a lot of stats to come up with this yeah. ranking maybe they're offering me an interview but i just don't want to be this mean to them um, <laughs> they're including yelp ratings so right there okay and the fact that we have six barbecue spots per 100,000 residents um you know, honestly, it feels kind of like it was created using the kind of data a realtor would use, not yeah. a barbecue fan. <laughs> but hey, man, I do love me some good Las Vegas barbecue, yeah. so rock on. Get the neon feast. I'm, I'm sure those stats barbecue. included a lot of Dickies and famous Daves in there, so uh, that's how you come up with that number. Somehow, some PR or social ma media expert is going to get a bonus uh, because we're talking about this right now and generating traffic. Uh, this list is either A, extrapolated from the 23rd question in a 21-question sur survey. Uh, oh, yeah, barbecue thoughts or numbers. Or B, just fabricated from nothing in classic clickbait style. Uh, I'm going to go with B because uh, Cleaver, uh, Clever, see, I can't even get that right, <laughs> according to his website, is a real estate agent referral page. So if you're moving to some unknown city and you need to find a realtor to help you buy a home, you go there. The hook is they offer cash back like a credit card. So if you buy a $400,000 home, they're going to give you $400. Yeah. No, excuse me, $200. One-tenth of, uh, one-half of 1%. One That'd be $200. Oh, this, boy. This is too much math. Uh, I know, no, no. I don't even yeah. know where the hell you could, went. You know, buy some barbecue with that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of encouraging to me that these real estate companies are that interested in restaurants. You guys, um, let's talk partnerships with Neon Feast. I'll do it for each city. You have a clever thing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah absolutely. I got clever right oh, here. Oh, man. Well, look, that's about it for this episode of Food and Love. Um, thanks to all our guests. Thanks for Chef Iman coming on. Thanks to the professor for coming on. Uh, everybody else that I spoke to this week. Rick, man, thank you for being hey. back Always and a having pleasure. us in your home. We love it. Tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Spread the word on social media. Just search for Food and Loathing. If you have a question or comment, or reach Al directly, info at foodandloathing.vegas. Download the Neon Feast app. Of course, use that to find your next dining destination. Whatever you need, whatever you want. Find it at Neon Feast, or if you like the laptop more than the phone, neonfeast.com. And look, I am not just a pretty voice. I'm also an ugly face. And if you <laughs> want to see that, you can catch it on the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.15 a.m. Also, new radio gig. Just yeah. did it before we recorded this. I'm doing... Um, Thursday mornings on AM 670 KMZQ. So that's oh. a lot of fun. So talking about food with those guys, we do it about 8, 809, 810 every, I think we're going to do it every Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. You do the whole section there like uh, like 20 minutes or so? We do about, no, about seven, eight. Seven or eight minutes. minutes. But, you know, yeah. It's pretty nice. Pretty cool. We'll that's see. Cool. If they start to like me, maybe that's, we'll do that's more. That's luxury compared to that two minute uh, TV gig. I know. I didn't need... Oh, no, no, the, the, the CW people give me some space. I mean, oh, this okay. week was a little quicker than usual, but a lot of times, look, I'm just thrilled that they let me get on and promote great places. You, <laughs> you only want owls for two minutes. You can catch them on the Neon Feast update on The Vibe, 99.7 in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, 98.9 at the river. With producer Rich Johnson and Rick Moonen, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry.